Good morning, family. This is the day the Lord has made, and we shall rejoice and be glad in it. Let's give the Lord a high praise and bless His name. Praise God. Go ahead and smile at somebody next to you, a big smile, and say, I'm so happy to see you, I don't know what to do with myself. Go ahead and tell them. It is a joy, joy, joy to see you, and we welcome the presence of the Lord and welcome you all here, and certainly to all of our guests. What an honor it is to have you worshiping with us as we're loving on Jesus and loving on one another. God has been good to us, hasn't he? He has been good to us, and we're grateful. And we certainly want to continue to lift up our beloved pastor, Pastor Lance Hahn, and all of the team, quite a few, one of the largest teams we've ever sent to Uganda. They're there ministering now, and uh, God is doing an awesome, awesome work uh, through the team as they are sharing with Pastor Steve there in Uganda. So keep Pastor in your prayers. He's on a vigorous schedule. Uh, sometimes he is speaking as many times as three or four times a day uh, doing leadership training and so forth and ministering the Word of God. But uh, he is strengthened, uh, lots of prayer around him. He's encouraged, and thank God he made that flight. He got there, and uh, he's doing well. So he loves you and sends his love, and uh, again, all of the team there. We have sent missionaries literally all around the world this summer, and it is exciting. I myself just returned from Haiti and uh, just seeing what God is doing. So it's exciting. God's doing some awesome things. It's good to be part of Global Bridgeway. Come on. God is blessing us to take the message of the gospel around the world. So let's get right into our teaching and see what the Lord has for us. I am given the assignment and the task to close us out in the series of Ezra. You know, Pastor Lance always leaves me with the cleanup work, the hard stuff. <laughs> the part that is always the hard part. I often tease him, I say to him, I say, now why is it that you always leave the hard texts for me to preach? And he says, because I know you can do it. I know you can do it. And so uh, we're going to take up and finish up the book of Ezra. And then next week, next weekend, we start a new series in the book of Timothy, First Timothy. So it's going to be exciting. So you're kind of catching the patterns. We go from an Old Testament passage and sometimes do a topical, and then many times we'll go into the New Testament and do a series. So we start, Lord willing, First and Second Timothy uh, this coming uh, weekend ahead of us. All right, let's pray, and let's see what the Lord has for us. Father, thank you so much for this, your beloved, and my dear ones that have gathered here. What a joy it is always to stand before such an esteemed group of people, God, the saints of the Most High God. We love you and we bless you. Would you, sir, give us clarity of thought, continuity of thinking, accuracy of the text. Help your servant to teach and share in such a way that even a child would be able to embrace the powerful truth and revelation that is given to us through the text. We honor you and we bless you. For this and your many blessings, thank you, Holy Spirit, for all that you are in us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you will, open your Bibles to Ezra chapter 10, the last chapter of the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 10, and we are continuing and finishing our series, which is entitled The Purpose Reclamation Project. <clears throat> the Purpose Reclamation Project. And uh, we've been looking at 
the fact through this entire series that God has a purpose and a corresponding plan that aligns itself with our lives. It aligns itself with the purposes that God has designed for each and every one of our lives. Um, We often think that God has given us only a purpose, that there's just one purpose in life. I was blessed to be with the people of God over at the Harvest Church in Elk Grove on last weekend and had been preaching there uh, three services, uh, both last month and this month. And one of the things that I brought out to them on this past weekend was that it is my belief that God does not merely give us just a purpose or one purpose. Sometimes we can narrow our thinking and narrow our lives in thinking that there's just, just, just a single one thing that we're to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. And in actuality, I believe that God gives us many purposes. I think that there's something that God did with me in one season of my life, and that was his purpose through me at that time. Then there are other times that God has another purpose for me, a different season, a different place, a different people. Uh, It can be even a different phase of life, a different phase of ministry. There are many purposes. I just want to be used of God any way and every way he wants me to be used. See, there's a purpose for me right now as I'm standing before you ministering the word of God. And yesterday when I left uh, the, the last service, there was a purpose for me to go inside Rayleigh's and, and, and get a rotisserie chicken. <laughs> and I wanted to be open to whatever God wanted me to do and be in Rayleigh's yesterday. And, and sure enough, there was someone there in Rayleigh's who approached me. I didn't recognize them. They recognized me. And it was a glorious time of sharing and just encouragement to them. And in fact, they, they, when they saw me, they started telling all of their business. They just kind of stood there and they said, I haven't been to church in months. And I was like, well, I wouldn't have known that had you not told me that. But, <laughs> you know, you see. But again, there was a purpose that God had for me at that particular time in that particular area. And so we're, we're finding out that we are tasked with overcoming distractions, disappointments, at times disillusionment, that seeks to forfeit or cause us to forfeit our inheritance that we have with the kingdom of God. Every one of you, every one of us that are in this room right now, we have been given inheritance through the kingdom or within the kingdom of God, through the work and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And hear me on this. It's nothing that you and I can do to work for it or to merit it. It's not based upon our works. We, we, listen, we do not work for grace. We work from grace. Did you catch the difference? We, we don't work... To receive grace. We don't work to receive the grace of God. But because we have received His immeasurable grace, we work from that posture. We serve from that posture. 
And therefore, our hearts are aligning itself, despite, again, every day, myself included, the distractions and the things that seek to come to impair us and move us from what God has called us to be. And, and, and hear me, our, our, our proclamation is very, very clear. Our proclamation is very clear. We, we have not been hesitant to state this within this t- time of teaching, this series on Ezra. We who are the children of the living God because of the work of Jesus, we have been redeemed. Uh, thank you, you five that agree with that. <laughs> Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We have been redeemed. We have been bought with a price. We have been purchased by the living God. We who once were in darkness, now we have been brought into light. We who were spiritually dead, we have now been made alive in the living God and the work of our Lord and Savior. And so uh, we are to experience the fullness, the fullness of joy. The fullness of life. Not just eternal life, but abundant life. Eternal life for the future, but abundant life for the present. We're we're called to have wholeness in every aspect of our life. That's what God has provided to us through the kingdom inheritance. And, and, and we're warned, in fact, by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, because uh, some would question, well, why are we studying the book of Ezra? Why did we spend 12 weeks in the book of Ezra? Uh, I thought that we should just study the New Testament. Is there anything in the Old Testament that can benefit us? And Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 11, he says that these things that we observe... These things that we observe through the children of Israel. They are given to us for our example and for our warning. We go back and we look at things within the old covenant because it is an example to us. How God interfaced with his people. Those things have not changed, beloved. God, listen, if God required obedience then, how many of you know he requires obedience now? See, don't, don't get it twisted. You know, if God wants us to obey Him and to follow the things that He has given us back in the Old Covenant, there are things that we're to do now in our obedience to the Lord. And so He says, I show you these things for, Paul says, for your warning, but also so that it may be an example. There is a, a, a misteaching that is out there that has been stated almost as a wise tale that says, um, experience is your best teacher. Anybody ever heard that? Experience is your best teacher. Some of you even say it. Experience is your best teacher. I disagree with that. I, I do. I, I disagree with that. I don't have to experience something to necessarily have wisdom about it. In other words, let me put it in this way so you'll understand. I don't have to take crack to know it's bad for you. <laughs> you, you understand what I'm saying? I don't, I don't have to turn around and take crack to know that it can be destructive. I don't believe that experience is your best teacher. I believe wisdom and knowledge is your best teacher. And wisdom that comes from the Word of God. Let me quickly, before we look 
at Ezra 10. Let me quickly give you a review for those of you just to refresh our hearts and some of you that are hearing this for the first time. uh, Let me just kind of catch you up if I may. The book of Ezra is believed to be written by Ezra himself and it begins where 2 Chronicles, the book of 2 Chronicles, ends. Isaiah, the prophet, actually prophesied in Isaiah 44 and verse 28 some of the things that would happen in the history of the children of Israel. One of the things that we found out in looking at Ezra that the children of Israel had become steeped in sin. They had fallen into disobedience. And as a result of that, first the northern kingdom and then secondly the southern kingdom were taken captive by the Babylonians into captivity for nearly 70 years. It's in that backdrop that God raises up prophets such as Isaiah who declared in Isaiah 44:28 that there would be a Persian king by the name of Cyrus who would send exiles back to Jerusalem. In other words, God would not leave his people in exile. God would not leave his people in captivity. But because God is a merciful and a graceful God and a God who cares for his people, he would, in essence, one particular season or time, bring the people back into the land. The very thing that the adversary, because of their disobedience, had taken captive, God allowed his people to have it restored back into their hearts and back into their land. That's what God does today. That's what God does today. God, because of his mercy... And because of his love, he does not allow us to remain captive to our own fears, captive to our own disillusionment, captive to our own pain. God says, I am the God who redeems you. And so not only does he redeem, but because of his redemption, he restores us. He restores us. And therefore, he puts it upon our hearts to follow after him and continue in obedience. And such was the case with the children of Israel. In fact, we go on to understand that they would return back into Jerusalem. This occurred under the leadership of Zerubbabel in 538 B.C. And despite the initial opposition... This was brought out to us by Pastor Lance. The initial opposition of the Jewish inhabitants of Judea... And after encouragement from the prophets Zechariah and Haggai, the temple in 515 B.C. would be rebuilt. Despite the resistance that would come from inhabitants of the land as the children of Israel came back and reclaimed territory, the first thing that they were to do was to rebuild the temple. And despite the resistance that took place, They followed the encouragement that was given to them by the prophets. And in 458 B.C., Ezra would lead the second of three waves of the returning exiles back into the land. Remember, Pastor brought that out to us, that there were three waves of exiles that came out of Babylon back into the land. The first wave was led under Zerubbabel and Yeshua. The second wave would be led by Ezra and the third wave by Nehemiah. And these folks would be brought back into the land under their leadership. But interesting enough, interesting enough, you would think having been held captive, you would think understanding the consequences of sin, you would think that the people would now be on the straight and narrow and that they would be fully committed and fully obedient to what God desired for their lives. And on the contrary... Because they are people like us, they found themselves falling right back into the same sin over and over again, 
even to the place that when we finished looking at chapter 9 last week, we found that Ezra is in distress because the people have committed the same sins over again. Isn't it, listen, isn't it sad? What a sad commentary. What a sad commentary about human behavior. What a sad commentary that we find ourselves, the things that we don't want to do, we find ourselves doing. We find ourselves constantly on this treadmill of disobedience and times when we find ourselves just going forth and we're, we get the victory one day and then the next day we fall back into the same entrapment. Maybe I'm talking to myself because all of you are wearing halos on your head right now. But the reality is, beloved, that every day I find myself falling short and missing the things that God desires for my life. Sometimes it can be the most simple things as driving on the freeway and somebody cutting me off. And I will just be leaving church praising God and saying hallelujah. And the moment that person cuts me off, I'm sitting there, well, I won't repeat what I say. But there are things that come out of my mouth that sound everything but like a son of the living God. I'm not the only one in this room. Every one of us miss it. Every one of us falls short. But aren't you glad that we don't give up? My pastor, whom I was raised under, under at Shiloh Baptist Church in Oak Park, his name was the late... Pastor Willie P. Cook, he went to heaven at the age of 94 just about six years ago. But I remember going to his house, a little modest house that he lived on on 12th Avenue right in the middle of Oak Park. Just a little humble house. And I would sit there on his porch and I would ask him this question. I said, Pastor, how are you doing? How are you doing? And his words resonate in my ears even as I'm speaking this to you right now. He says, well, son, I'm gaining on it. I'm gaining on it. In other words, I haven't yet got to where I want to be, but I'm gaining on it. Is there anybody that can say you're gaining on it? You're not quite there yet. We're still missing some things, but how many can say you're gaining on it? Glory to God. I'm gaining on it. I'm growing in the things that God has called for in my life. So God raises up this man by the name of Ezra even despite the people's sin. And this is powerful because we found in Ezra 7 and 6, and we also read in Ezra 8, 18, despite the people's sin, God had his hand on Ezra. God had his hand on Ezra. Despite Israel's sin, God had his hand on Ezra. I I need you to grasp that. Because despite how many times you and I fall short and miss the mark, I state with thanksgiving out of my heart, I'm grateful that God has His hand on us. Because it is God's hand on us that allows us to experience conviction and a check within our heart that we're not left to our own whims. I don't know how you feel about this, but I am grateful that God does not leave me to myself. Because by myself, I'm a mess. By myself, I am destructive. But God, through His Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of us, there is a conscience. There is a conviction. There is something that helps us to discern right from wrong. 
There's something, that, watch this, that despite the pleasure of sin, we cannot find ourselves as believers being comfortable with sin. In other words, there's something that causes us to react, or better yet, respond to the voice of God. That's why God sends pastors. Thank God for pastors. I know there's a lot of bad talk about pastors. People, people don't like pastors. They eat pastors. Baked pastors, fried pastors, boiled pastors, pastor fricassee, macaroni and cheese and pastors. But God raises up pastors and men and women, even who are sitting next to you, to help us be delivered from ourselves. I can tell you there are so many times I sit in the seat and I'm hearing Pastor minister the Word or Pastor Brian minister the Word or Pastor Matt Bach ministering the Word. And as the Word is coming forth, God speaks and brings conviction and a check within my own heart. Even as a pastor, there's a conviction, there's a check within my own heart. God, you're not pleased with this. Or God, this does not honor you. Or this thought does not honor you. There must be a change. There must be repentance. That's what the word repentance means. Repentance means a change of heart or a change of thinking. There has to be a change, oh God. And so I'll sit there. I told Pastor last week, Pastor Lance, after he got through speaking, I slipped out the door and went and prayed with him. As I usually do, I will usually go and just pray with him after he brings the message, the first message on Saturday night. And as I embraced him, I said, man, you taught that word in such a way it preached me under the seat and back over. (laughs) It brought conviction. It brought a part of my heart that was responding to what God is saying. That's why God raises up leaders. Ezra 7 and 10. Ezra, we're told, he studied the word of God, not only to teach it, but to do it. He studied the word of God, not only to teach it, but to do it. I tell everyone, one who is a pastor, including myself, may have the gift to teach it. But I don't necessarily have the gift to live it. I have to work on it just like you. I have to apply it just like you. That's why Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, study to show yourself, watch this, approved to God, a worker, a man or woman who needs not be ashamed, who need not be ashamed, rightly applying the word of God. David shares in the same attitude in Psalm 119 and verse 11. Your word have I hidden or stored up in my heart, O God. I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. It's in this spirit that Ezra in Ezra 10 now shares the conclusion of our series. Let's look at it. While Ezra was praying and confessing, it's a continuation of chapter 9. While Ezra was praying and confessing, weeping, watch this, praying, confessing, weeping, but he did something else. Throwing himself down before the house of God. A large crowd of Israelites, men, women, and children gathered around him. I want to stop for just a moment. And I want you to picture this, if you will, please. It was somewhat laid out to us in in, in, in the depiction that Pastor Lance presented to us. Where we find Ezra confessing and repenting 
on behalf of the people. And he's crying. And the scripture goes on to say here in chapter 10, he was weeping bitterly. But the part that stands out to me is that he threw himself down. He threw himself down. Folks, the best way I can put this out to you is that he literally causes a scene. There's a scene going on. You understand when I say there's a scene going on? It's there. Everybody is drawn to observing Ezra because this thing is so distressful to him. This thing is so, so much anguish in this that he's not only weeping, but he's weeping bitterly. There, there's, there's this pedulance, there's this, this peevish grieving and, and, and weeping before God and, and throwing himself down. I mean, there's no dignity in this, folks. There's, there's nothing cute about this. He throws himself down. I, in, in my family, in my family, we, we have a custom in my family coming from uh, an African-American family in, in black folk culture, we, we do what we call, we call them uh, funerals or home goings. So when someone dies, we do a funeral or home going. In my family, I have those who, when they show up for the funeral, uh, which is not atypical for black folks, they show up to cause a scene. They grieve hard. I mean, they really grieve hard. I, I went to a few memorial services here in Bridgewood, and I said, oh, these folks do it cute over here. I have not seen it. I mean, you all do it so cute. I mean, you're, you're grieving and you're hurting, and there's a dab of a tear here and a dab of a tear, and you hold each other and embrace, and it's so quiet and it's so nice. But where I come from, black folk, we, 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 we go for the gusto. My family members put on a scene. I've got family members that jump in caskets and try to pull the body out. And, you know, it should have been me. You know, all that kind of stuff. And they, and they try to jump in the grave and, and so forth. And we work the ushers and the nurses overtime. You understand? I'm, no, I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. We really let go. Let it rip. You know? I mean, there's been known to be fights at some of our funerals. <laughs> Emotions are high. And after we finish falling out and screaming and falling on the floor and getting smelling salts and being carried to the car and leave the cemetery, we come back to the church and we look and say, who made the potato salad? You understand what I'm saying? We are ready to eat. I'm not making it up. And there's been some studies on this. There's been some studies, actual studies, that have suggested that black folks grieve and they move through the process of grief more healthy because we let it out. We don't hold it in. You know, we, we, we go to the casket and look back to see who's going to catch us. You know, and we fall out. <laughs> see? That... But the, the point I share with you is that this is the type of weeping that Ezra is depicting. I, I, I was trying to help you all to understand that Ezra is a black man. You understand what I'm saying? Ezra <laughs> throws himself down and he's weeping and he's falling out and all of the people come around him. 
And they too wept bitterly. Verse 2. Then Shechaniah, son of Jehiel, and one of the descendants of Elam, and Ezra, or said to Ezra, rather, We have been unfaithful to our God. How? By marrying foreign women from the peoples around us. Remember, Pastor shared with us, the issue here was not, watch me, was not necessarily interracial marriage or intercultural marriage. It had to do with interreligious marriage. That's the difference. A lot of people have taken this scripture and used this and have perverted it as to believe. See, God doesn't want there to be interracial marriage. That's not true. That's not true. What God was challenged with then, and I believe is still challenged with today, is when you have a believer connecting with an unbeliever. It's when a believer is trying to connect with an unbeliever, and this unbeliever, watch this, influences this believer in an adverse and negative way. Now, I'm going to say something to you, and I'm going to get in trouble like I did last night, but I don't care. You know what? <laughs> Don't make me no mind. I said it last night and I'll say it again. I believe when it comes to courtship and dating, believers should court and date believers, not unbelievers. I believe that believers should court Believers. They should date believers. You're setting yourself up otherwise. You're setting yourself up otherwise. And we live under this cloud of belief. Well, I love her. I love him. And maybe I can witness to them. And they can come to know the Lord. Uh, You're doing this thing backwards. You're doing this thing backwards. And you're going to find that is setting you up. Baby, you cannot slap a coexist sticker on that and go on and believe that's going to work. You can't do it. And that's what he's talking about in regards to here. He's, the people begin to confess. They say, they say uh, we have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the peoples around us. But in spite of this, now watch this. This is not even Ezra talking. This is the people talking to Ezra. They're saying to Ezra, we have messed up. We have blown it. We have not done what God has told us to do. But despite this, the people say to Ezra, there is still hope in Israel. That blows my mind. It's not even Ezra saying this. Remember, Ezra at this point is toe up from the flow up. He is wrecked. Ezra at this point is in amazing distress and yet the people within their own heart of repentance before God, they say there's still hope for Israel. Can I encourage somebody in here? I don't care how far you and I have messed up. I don't care what we have lost and the things that we have. Some of you are in here right now saying I've lost everything. I've lost family. I've lost relationships. I've lost finances. I've lost resources. I've lost status in the community because of my sin. May I encourage you today to say there is still hope. There is still hope. As long as there's God, there's hope. As long as there's God, there is hope for each and every one of us. And in verse 3, it goes on to say, they, they respond by saying to Ezra, Now, 
Let us make a covenant before our God to send away all these women and their children in accordance to the counsel of my Lord and those who fear the commands of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Now this is again the people saying this to Ezra. These are the leaders saying this to Ezra. And then they continue saying to him in verse 4, Rise up! This matter is in your hands. We will support according, we will support you, so take courage and do it. The people say to the man of God, get up, rise up, stop crying, stop falling out, rise up. We got to do something here. We've got to respond to the love of God. We've got to respond. We must plead the mercy of our God. Can I say something to someone in this room right now? Not only is there hope for you, but I'm commanding you. I'm not even asking you. I'm not even going to be cute and nice with you today. I am commanding you to rise up out of your despair. Rise up out of your fear. Rise up out of your confusion. Rise rise up out of your disappointment. Rise up and don't just settle. Don't fall into a que-sera-sera, whatever will be, will be mentality. Don't fall into what we commonly throw out of our mouths. Well, it is what it is. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. It's what God says He wants it to be for you. Despite what you see, despite what you feel, despite what we're experiencing, there's more for us. Man, I love it when our pastor sometimes will stand here and he said, There's more. There's more. There's more. I want more. It's like one of those commercials after they show you all the stuff that says, Wait, there's more. <laughs> there's more for us that God wants to do. Come on, touch somebody and say, There's still hope. Lean on somebody else and say, Rise up. And tap one more person and say, Do it. Glory to God. Boy, that's preaching right there. Come on, somebody. That's preaching right there. Rise up. Rise up and do it. There is still hope. So Ezra rose up in verse 5 and put the leading priests and Levites of all of Israel under an oath and to do what the people had suggested. And they took the oath. Then Ezra withdrew from the house of God and went to the room of Jehonadah. While he was there, he ate no food and drank no water. He fasted, in other words. He continued to mourn over the unfaithfulness of the exiles. A proclamation was then issued throughout Judea or, or Judah and Jerusalem for all the exiles to assemble in Jerusalem. Anyone who failed to appear within three days was to forfeit all of their property in accordance to the decision of the officials and the elders, and would himself be expelled from the assembly of the exiles. In other words, the people, the leaders said, we need everybody to show up. Everybody to show up within three days or you forfeit all of your land and you forfeit your posture within the community. Within three days, all the men of Judah and Benjamin had gathered in Jerusalem. And on the 20th day of the ninth month, all the people were sitting in the square before the house of God, greatly distressed by the occasion. In other words, they were distressed. They began to say they had gotten wind that God wasn't pleased. And God was calling this solemn assembly and was calling the people together. And they became distressed. But not only were they distressed about that, they were actually standing. Watch this. They were standing in the square of the temple in a torrential rain. It's one thing. It's almost like a movie scene. 
It's one thing to be standing there and knowing that God's not pleased with you, but to really drive it home, God allows a torrential rain to come and you're standing out there in the cold and you're just there. And the people are in distress. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have been unfaithful. You have married foreign women, adding to Israel's guilt. Now honor the Lord, the God of your ancestors, and do His will. Separate yourself from the peoples around you and your foreign wives. The whole assembly responded with a loud voice. Watch this. The whole assembly, they respond by saying, You are right. You are right. I'm going to tell you something. It's amazing to be able to preach before that kind of congregation. Because that typically does not happen. You'll get some who say, Amen. You're right about it, preacher. And you get others. I don't agree with that. But this whole congregation responds by saying, You are right. We must do as you say. But there are many people here. This is their response. There are many people, and it's the rainy season. So we cannot stand outside. Besides, this matter cannot be taken care of in a day or two because we have sinned greatly in this thing. In other words, it's going to take more than one or two days to address this. Verse 14. Let our officials act for the whole assembly. Then let everyone in our towns who has married a foreign woman come at the same time along with the elders and judges of each town until the fierce anger of our God in this matter is turned away from us. Only Jonathan, Josiah, supported by Meshalam and Shabbatai, the Levite, oppose this. Now, when it mentions these men oppose the plan, it does not mean that they oppose the fact or the reality that the people had sinned. They were all in agreement. When everybody said, you are right, these men were part of that voice. They agreed that there had been a grievous sin that had taken place, but they opposed the plan that was developed by the other leaders. They said, that, in other words, there's got to be another way that we can deal with this. Yeah, you know, and, and that's okay. They can disagree there. But they were in agreement that, again, sin had taken place. And notice here in verse 16, so the exiles did as was proposed. Ezra and the priests selected men who were family heads, one from each family division and all that them designated by name. On the first day of the 10th month, they sat down to investigate the cases. In other words, they conducted interviews with people within the townships. And by the first day of the first month, they finished dealing and watch this. They finished dealing with nearly 113 men who had married foreign women. They interviewed the whole community and they, in other words, came up with 113. Out of all the thousands, 113 that had married foreign women or women from cultures that did not worship the true and living God. It took them three months to do this. From the time Ezra stood with them in the rain till the time they came back and brought these men before the council or before the congregation to make confession before the Lord and to repent. It took them three months. Can I say something to you? It took them three months. But when God convicts our heart, how many of you know that we can confess our sin before the Lord and He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And thank God it doesn't take three months. It doesn't take three months. It just takes a heart that says, 
I am going to admit it. I'm going to quit it. And I'm going to forget it. I'm going to turn from the things that are dishonoring to God. That's why Paul says in Romans 12 verses 1 through 2, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies, brothers and sisters, as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Every day, renewing the mind, that we may discern what is the will of God and is good, perfect, and acceptable will within our lives. That's our heart today. That's what this whole series has been about. This whole series has been about renewing our mind, changing our thinking. Going back and saying, God, we have missed it. We have blown it. God, every day we fall short. But today, God, we turn our heart towards you. I want to quickly give you, if I may, for just a moment, if you take your bulletin, I want to give you all of the fill-ins that we have gone over these 12 lessons. And maybe you've missed some. You can fill them in right now. A couple of them we've altered a little bit because Pastor Lance is gracious. Whenever someone else is preaching besides himself, he gives us the liberty to change it up a little bit. So I'll give you those as I know them, that the ones that were changed a little bit. I'll give you what he gave us, and then I gave you what some of them had the audacity to change. No, I'm playing with you, all right? <laughs> all right, here's your feelings. Part one, God wants us in our sweet spot. When Pastor first introduced this lesson to us, that's what he drove home to us. God wants us to realign our will with his will. He wants us in our sweet spot, not just merely existing. Part two, God's purpose for us is more noble than our own. Let me say that again. God's purpose for us is more noble than than our own. The late Dr. Martin Luther King said like this, there are many things that I've held in my hand. Those things, I've lost them all. But the things I have surrendered to God, those things I yet retain. Those things I yet have. Part three, we found out sure footing leads to stable living. When your foundation is sure and founded on the things of Jesus Christ, sure footing will lead to stable living. Part four, our enemies. Remember, Pastor shared with us our enemies, our world systems, Satan, and then our flesh. World systems, how the world thinks. Satan. There, there, there is a real devil. I know there's a lot of teaching out there. that There's no real devil. Don't personify him. There is a real devil. And trust me, he does not have horns, a pointy tail, and a pitchfork. Yeah. <laughs> Scripture teaches he comes as an angel of light. He presents himself as that which is enticing and beautiful. World system, Satan, and then the last one, the last enemy which I think many times is overlooked and is one that causes us more anguish than we know, is, watch this, the enemy in a me. My flesh. My own thinking. That has been massaged in my fears. My poor self-esteem. My doubts. My confusion. Our enemies do not want us healthy. 
Our enemies don't want us healthy. That's why Jesus said in John 10 and 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I'm so glad he didn't put a period there. He says, but I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Oh, hallelujah. I'm not going to let the enemy just steal from me anymore. Come on, somebody. I'm going after everything that God has for me. I want more. Come on. Hallelujah. Part five. No significant, significant good thing is easy. No significant good thing is ever going to be easy. Some of you are getting some pushback and some resistance in your life right now. And you think that something's wrong. Can I suggest to you it may be that something is right. Because whenever you're doing something that is going to honor God, whenever you're doing something, even put your mind to do what is going to honor God, you're going to get some pushback. The adversary is going to push. I tell people all the time, if you're walking along through life and it's just tiptoe through the tulip, do-do-do-do-do, no problem, no resistance, you might want to check who you're walking with. Because when you are walking with God, there's going to be pushback. But greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Glory to God. All right? So again, nothing that is significantly good, no significant good thing is ever going to be easy. Part six, Jesus can move through walls. That's what Pastor Lance put. Talks about protection. Here's what Pastor Matt uh, shared with us. Is that God works through prophets and paperwork. In other words, God knows how to work behind the scenes. God works behind the scenes. Listen, I'm so thankful that it's what I don't see that God is doing. We often say, Woo, I praise God for what I see He's doing in our lives. But can I tell you, you got a whole lot you can praise God for the things you don't see that He is doing behind the scenes on your behalf. God works through prophets and paperwork. God knows how to move the obstacles. God knows how to protect. The prayer team was praying for me on yesterday. And one of the ladies in the prayer team, before any of the pastors come out to preach and minister the word, we have a prayer team in our church that comes around the people that you see standing here. And they come and they pray for us before we come out here. I'm so glad that they do. And one of the ladies says, I am praying for you that God will touch your mind, your heart, and your body. And it ministered to me. Then there was another woman in the room by the name of Elizabeth. And she said to me, as I'm praying right now, she said, Pastor, I see a tall, large angel standing behind you as you're ministering the word of God. I said, "Woo! thank God I'm ready to go. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because it's not just so I can say I got a big angel standing behind me. But that's an encouragement to let me know that the word that is coming out of my mouth is a word that is speaking life and health into your spirit. And the enemy does not like it. The adversary does not like it. The enemies who are against your wholeness and your health do not want you to hear a word of hope. The enemy wants you to walk in here, do the church thing, the church way, all the church songs, and do all the same things we do, and walk out the same way that you came in. But not so with our God. He wants us to be transformed from the crown of our head to the sole of our feet. Hallelujah. He wants somebody to be able to walk out these doors and know that you have the victory. You hear me? 
And not just today, but every single day of our lives. That's the heart of God for us. Let me close with these founding thoughts here. In part uh, 7, part 7, there's no such thing as too much worship. That's what Pastor Lance gave us, but Pastor uh, Brian shared with us that thankfulness is necessary for wholeness. Thankfulness is necessary for wholeness. Is there anybody in here that's thankful for what the Lord is doing in your life? Hallelujah. Part eight. Part eight. You get more water under the spout. You get more water under the spout. In other words, stop handing God this little, well, Lord, any way you want to bless me, I'll be satisfied. Here's my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and feel this longing in my soul. Why does it have to be a cup? Why don't you get one of them great big old trash cans, one of them big old heavy... God, just fill it up to overflow. I don't want just the blessing for me, but so that I can be a blessing to someone else. If all I got is a little teaspoon of joy, what am I going to be able to give you? I want God to flood me with His joy, flood me with His peace. We've also learned through this lesson, some things must be done together. Tap somebody next to you and say, I'm so glad we're together. Come on, tell them, I'm so glad we're together. Some things must be done together. We are better together. We've learned that in this lesson. I need you, you need me. We're one big happy family. See? We need each other. Glory to God. That's why somebody is sitting in your section right now. They are designed to be right where they are because God knew you were going to be here today. And somebody sitting in front of you, somebody sitting behind you, somebody on your right, on your left, knew, God knew that you were going to be sitting in your seat so that they can see what a testimony looks like. So that they can see what it looks like when a person has gone through what you've gone through, but yet there's a praise in your mouth. There's rejoicing in your heart. We're better together. Part 10, some of God's power is accessed through prayer. Some of God's power is accessed through prayer. There's power that's accessed through praise. Power that's accessed through fellowship. And some that is accessed even through prayer. And part 11, compromise makes pursuit of purpose difficult. I'm going to tell you like this. I'm going to say it again. Compromise makes pursuit of purpose difficult. Failure, defeat, and disobedience at this point of my life is not an option. I've got less years in front of me than I have behind me. I ain't got time to play. I want to finish well. I want God to be glorified with my life. And last, what are you willing to give up for the blessing. What are you willing to give up to be blessed? It's going to cost you. Don't get a fool. It's going to cost you to live for God. I know you say, Jesus paid it all. Yeah, he did. But you got to say yes to God and no to some other stuff. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's going to cost you, babies. Let me close with this and I'll tell you this. Uh, so, before Pastor Lance went on his uh, trip to Uganda, Pastor Lance, all the staff, we have what they call a staff fun day. It's supposed to be a team building exercise. 
<laughs> and all of us, I'll just tell them the staff, we get nervous every time we hear it because they don't tell us what we're going to do. Because they know if they tell us ahead of time, we're going to opt out. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, of course, after I found out what we were going to do, I wished I had called in sick. You understand what I'm saying? And so they, they said, we're going to go go-kart racing, the fast ones. So all the staff loaded up. We went. They said, plan for three hours. We're going to go go-kart racing. And I, I was the last one to leave the office. I was doing my best to narrow those three hours down. You understand what I'm saying? And I got there, and they were just getting in line when I got there. So I got there and had to put on my helmet and so forth and stand there and get ready to go and jump in the cart. And long story short, Pastor Lance knew I wasn't feeling it. He knew it. In fact, he came up to me. He said, Bud, I know this isn't your thing. And I said, you got that right. I almost want to cuss. You understand what I'm saying? I was, I was mad. I said, I know this ain't your thing, bud. I know this ain't your thing. So I got in the cart. I've never been in one. And I'm driving it like a bumper car. I'm even asking questions. Can you bump cars? I say, do not bump the cars. And I'm in the cart. And I'm driving the car. And I'm speeding around. And truthful, I wasn't speeding. I was going as slow as I could because I was nervous. You understand? But there was one person that just kept flying around me just every time. Every time they come up to me, I hadn't even got over the first lap. They were going on their second one, just flying around me. And every time they'd go by, they'd go, Whoa! They kept just driving by. Whoa! And I was like, it was y'all's pastor that was doing it. It kept flying around me. Just... And I was all nervous. I was ready to quit after the first race. There were three races. But I made up my mind. I committed myself to the race. And I wasn't going to just opt out because it was getting rough. I committed myself to it. At the end of all three races, they gave out a first prize, second prize, third prize. Everybody stood up on the steps proudly, including your pastor, proudly, Pastor Lance. <laughs> Woo! You know, standing this. We were all getting ready to walk away, all 25 of us. And then they said, we've got one more gift we want to give out, one more award, to the one who came in last. But they finish. I strutted out like a foster farm chicken and received mine. You understand what I'm saying? I proudly stood there and received my gift because I realized the race is not given to the swift nor to the strong, but to the one who endures till the end. We have concluded the book of Ezra. Stand to your feet. Prayer team, come up. As the prayer team comes, would you touch a shoulder and an arm all in this room? Touch a shoulder and an arm all in this room. Prayer team is available to pray for many after the service. They are anointed and appointed for such a time as this to encourage you. I close with these thoughts into your hearing. You are Alpha and Omega. We worship you, our God. You are worthy to be praised. You are Alpha and Omega. We worship you, our God. You are worthy to be praised.
praise. We give you all the glory. We worship you, our God. You are worthy to be praised. We give you all the glory. We worship you, our God. You are worthy to be praised. As we have learned, so we shall do. We reclaim everything, Father, that you have promised to us with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Clap your hands and give God the highest praise. God bless you. Be at peace and serve the Lord. The prayer team's here. Feel free to come up. God bless.